Thank you, White family, for your scripture presentation today. These have been fun, yes? When I was at my school that I've been attending, so I go once a year to this school, and before attending there, if you told me to have people act out scripture, I would have told you that that's really lame. And then I watched other people do it, and I was like, that's really powerful. Maybe we were just lame in the 90s. I love having kids and adults and everybody involved in telling the story of God. It's just been so wonderful. I think even, okay, this might sound like an announcement, but it's just kind of like something I'm excited about. So even next weekend, so we have our, we have our service, and Pastor Charles will talk about the outreach stuff later, but I'm excited about the service next week because we're going to do, do something really exciting. So along with our worship band that'll be playing, we also have the kids coming up as a kids' choir. So they're going to be leading along with the worship band. I'm so excited about that. And so next weekend as well, so Pastor Angela has been working with the kids and the the concepts of communion and why we do these things. And so we're going to, as a a big family, kids, adults, everyone together, we're going to have communion together next weekend. And I'm just so excited to have the kids in a piece of our service. This is good for us. This is very good for us. It's going to be noisier and a little annoying, and that's beautiful. Yeah. The series on Jonah, I hope you're getting lots out of this. I've enjoyed the conversations at the groups we've been leading, and I feel like it's been one of those series that you, you teach but you're also getting a lot out of it. So I've been enjoying this series on multiple levels. So if you haven't been here for much of it, Jonah is a very short book. It is 48 verses long. That is tiny. It fits the definition of the word Bible, which means the little books, because it's a little book. It gives us no indication of authorship. There's no introductory paragraph. There's, there's, no, there's no title. It's just, here's a narrative about a guy named Jonah. And I think as a, as a piece, even if it was just all by itself, says so much about the character of God. We've talked about the presence of God and how He is constantly speaking to us today. We talked about free will as a gift, that free will is something that God has given us in order that we can then respond, that we choose to respond to His actions. Last week, we talked about this this middle land, this middle ground of being between what we know as home and actually getting back to home. This place where Jonah was as he, as he struggled and, and, and kind of made his way around trying to figure out how to get back into 
the presence of God that he could understand. Not that the presence of God ever leaves us, because we know that's ridiculous. But we talked about prayer, about talking to God by holding that conversation as something important in our lives. Because when we're going through issues and we choose not to go to God first, we're not including Him in our problems. But by simply including God by prayer, by saying, God, this is what I'm going through and it's terrible, now you're including God in the process. Now you're inviting Him into the issues of your heart. So if you've ever wondered what this weird concept of give it to God actually means, just invite Him in. Talk to him about it. Don't call your neighbor. Don't end up a piece of gossip for someone else. Talk to God first. Today, we're going to talk about second chances. This is where we're at in the story of Jonah. We're talking about second chances. Do you remember, if you're my age, or I don't know the variables on either side for this, but if you're my age... We had something amazing that happened in school twice a year. It was the Scholastic Book Fair. Does anyone remember the Scholastic Book Fair? This was a magical time. So to catch you up, if you're uninitiated on this, you would get this flyer that had a list of all these different books, unimportant, completely unimportant. This is why you attend, as a, as a nine-year-old boy, why you attended the Scholastic Book Fair. You ready? Posters. It was posters. I could get books. I don't want to read as a nine-year-old. That's, un, that's, that's ridiculous. Why would I want to improve my reading skills? I'm there for the Lamborghini poster, right? Does anyone remember these? I had the white one. And it was amazing. But slowly creeping into the purity of car posters, like just the purity of what scholastic book fairs was all about. To me, that was it. That and a cool bookmark. It wasn't about books. Creeping into that, we had motivational posters. These were ridiculous to me. It's like the the cat hanging on, the, the hang in there, you know? Like... It was ridiculous. Even, even when um, offices started putting up like a picture of a mountain and like some obscure verse from Psalms, it's like, how is this supposed to motivate me to do anything better? It's just a, a picture of a mountain and an out of context verse. I don't understand what's happening. Do you find though like I do, that when we, when we take these tidbits from Scripture and we stick them on a motivational poster and we put them on the same playing field as hang in there, kitty, does it maybe weaken the power of God? Like when, when we put these things in the same, the same venue, in the same on the same playing field, it's like, oh, just hang in there, guys. Hang in there like that cat does. God is a mighty fortress. Same, same, right? I find that it weakens the power of who God is. 
more often than not, all of these motivational posters came back to one principle and one concept. Try harder or try again. Taking a second chance. Jonah 3 is a piece of the story of God that defines God's desire to hand out second chances. Not only to Jonah, but to an entire city. Let's look at a couple pieces of scripture uh, from Matthew. What do you think? There was a, a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. This terrible son. But later, he changed his mind and went. Okay. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Next verse, from 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance a God of second chances. Next verse. This is Jesus now. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God is constantly pushing to give second chances to anyone who's willing to accept it. I find it interesting in these verses that it's those who are at the end of our societal list of who should be accepted are the ones that God's like, you know what, let's put them in the first place because they're actually listening. There's a couple of pieces of takeaway in the, the verse that was presented today that I want to look at as we um, work our way through. The first one is that when the word of the Lord came, there was no indication of it being a sacred place. I thought that was very interesting. Consider Moses for a second. We've talked about him a little bit when God spoke to Moses. Just take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Jonah's in common time, in common space, and God says, go to Nineveh. Here's the word of the Lord. So if Jonah is not in some sort of a sacred place, that leads us to believe once again that God will speak no matter where you are. That God is willing and ready to speak to you. Focusing on times in sacred space and times of worship is good and it's important. But if we only limit God to these times and to these spaces, we truly are limiting him. Think of the times in your life where you have felt God speak. Where were you? 
How did it happen? What were those emotions that came forward? What were those, those indications that God gave you? The second thing is the scale of the task. This really comes up again and, and gets highlighted to me. Because the, the word of the Lord, this, this phraseology, does not appear in Scripture all that often unless a nation is about to shift or a second chance is going to be offered in a drastic way, in this case, regionally. Perhaps it would even affect the nation of Assyria. There's, a, there's something else that's interesting when we talk about the scale of this task. The author of Jonah does not say the ruler of Assyria. He says the ruler of Nineveh. In some translations, king of that's really kind of suspicious to me because it assigns then to a single city the power of a nation. This makes this task absolutely massive. The population, the size, the walking three days through the city. Could you imagine being in Jonah's shoes Okay, you have to go tell the enemy of God that he is going to destroy your city. So go ahead and walk, walk on through. Like, how do you go about that? Like, three-day journey into a city, if you were to stand up and just declare this once, I'm going to guess not a whole lot of people would hear you. So during your three-day journey through the city, you'd probably be repeating this over and over and trying to get people to listen to you. God's going to destroy Nineveh. God's going to destroy your city. You don't have much time. God's going to destroy your city. Think about the emotional anguish you would be going through. You're in enemy territory, going through a city, telling them that your God is going to destroy them. So let's pause there and go to this next piece. There's a parallel that's happening in the story of Jonah from the first part to where we are now. The captain on the ship and the king of Nineveh. Now, the captain on the ship said, well, let's go there. The captain on the ship said, how can you sleep, get up and call in your God, maybe... He will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Maybe we can get God's attention. Then this parallels to something that the king said in his little monologue. He says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Maybe God will change his mind. Perhaps, if we take this seriously, God will change his mind. Maybe. Perhaps. There's an identification here that Jonah's God seems to have some street cred with the people of Nineveh. They've heard of him. They are aware of who God is. 
And because they are aware of who he is, like that fast turnaround on the whole repentance thing, and then the ruler to quickly jump to, well, whoa, 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 maybe God will not destroy us. There's a pattern of God's behavior through Scripture. There, there, it starts with a declaration through an object or a dream or a prophet, this declaration of there is bad times coming. Not always followed with unless you. For Nineveh, there was no unless you. You will be destroyed. Bad times coming. Then the pattern continues where God watches and sees. He wants to see the outcome. This has been declared to you. Here's the outcome. Um, I'm going to watch and see what you do with it now. I wonder what you will do. And this brings us back to the concept we talked about in week two of this study with free will. God puts it out there. God acts. God makes the, the, the words come together and then waits. What are you going to do with what I've told you? Then comes what's called a judicial period, according to the commentator McConville, where God kind of weighs this out. God may relent, God may change his mind, or God may destroy. Then the peace we see coming into play as the book of Jonah concludes, where God does change his mind. What would have that looked like for the original audience? There is a threat of disaster. This weirdo Jonah comes to town and starts declaring, God is going to destroy your city. There's a threat of a disaster. Then we have repentance. There's, a, there's this penitence that comes from the entire city. How do you make animals fast? Like, I've always been curious about this. Like, obviously, you take away their food and water, but fasting is a heart decision. Like, how do you, how do you tell a cat, this is good for you, I want you to make the decision not to eat or drink? If you did this to my cats, they would claw you to pieces. I, so I, I don't know if you know anything about cats, but orange cats are terrible. They're terrible, terrible animals. I have one. It's a long hair, and he's, he's the worst. We have to keep the cat treats in the fridge because he will open every cupboard. He will, he will hunt those treats down. They have to stay in the fridge now. Because the other day, he went in the cupboard, found them, knocked them to the floor, ripped the bag open, and started having a snack. So I tried to take it away from him. That's when I found out we haven't clipped his nails for some time. <laughs> Don't buy an orange cat. That's free. That has nothing to do with today's message. Threat of disaster, there, there is repentance, there is penitence. Everyone is, is coming to God in fasting and, and in sackcloth and saying, God, please have mercy on our souls. And then there's divine intervention. 
Even throughout the, the Old Testament, we see this, this pattern appear. Um, you don't have this, Isaac, I'm sorry. We're going to go to Ezra real quick. Do you ever find when there's a specific verse that you need to get to quickly that it's no longer in your Bible? <laughs> Ezra 8, uh, 21. I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road, because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. There, there's this pattern. We, we bring it to God, we fast, we pray, and God asks. Let's skip ahead to Esther. Um, so this is after the realization comes to Mordecai and Esther that the, this ruler is going to probably just wipe out all the Jews. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days night or day, and I will attend, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and carried out all Esther's instructions. We know that this fasting had great ramifications. The pattern in Scripture is, if something's happening, you come to God, you humble yourself, you fast, you pray, and you wait, because we have a God who answers prayer. For the city of Nineveh, they learned that there is a God who answers prayer. There's always this act of humbling yourself. If you come to God and just say, God, I need you to intervene, thank you very much, I will continue up along my day. Um, yeah, we need to humble our hearts. If we actually want God to intervene in a situation in our lives, it has a whole lot more to do with the humbling of the heart than the actions. Oftentimes, the actions of, of prayer and fasting, they, they illustrate and they highlight what we're doing in our heart already. But we have to get to that point where we humble our hearts. This is a decision only we can make as people. Did you ever have a teacher who would give you extra marks if you just tried harder? Those are my favorite. <laughs> you just put out a little bit more effort and, and you get those extra participation marks. Maybe a big piece of the story of Jonah here is that God changes his mind and gives out second chances, not just for the people that serve him, 
their entire lives, like Jonah. Jonah's his own thing. But what about people who are in direct conflict to God? The Assyrians were notorious for being enemies of Israel. And God was quick, quick to show compassion and not destroy an entire city. Do you ever think about that? The people that we have made decisions are against my way of life. The people we've made decisions are against the church or, or even just my family. God's like, I have compassion on everyone. I wonder how quickly we show compassion. Probably not as quickly as the Lord does. I want to end with this thought. You put up that verse from Matthew 6. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They neither soar, sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Our heavenly Father cares. Period. What then stops us from accepting second chances? Maybe what other people think. Maybe you feel like you, you live in a stereotype that you can't break out of. John Christum in 387 AD said, if you knew how quickly people would forget about you after your death, you will not seek in your life to please anyone but God. It doesn't matter what people think. Break those stereotypes. You deserve a second chance. Next time you fall, you deserve a second chance. Next time you say something stupid, you deserve a second chance. We all do. So what if it's not what other people think? Maybe accepting second chances is, comes from some sort of a distorted view of God's grace and presence, where you feel like you are constantly unworthy for him. I'm telling you today, you are worthy of God's grace. This is something you are worthy of. The salvation being offered by Jesus Christ is for you. The healing being offered by our Father, that is for you. If you hear my words, you are good enough. It is for you. We have the responsibility to respond. Nobody can make you respond. Just like you can't force a cat to fast. Nobody can force you to respond to God. There's a quote, I don't remember who it was. I didn't write it down, but life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. This simple yet profound saying holds the key to navigating life's inevitable ups and downs. But remember, 
the power to shape our response rests in our hands. How do we respond to God? I tell you this today, do not wait for you to think there's a second chance. Do not wait for yourself to feel like you're, you're going to someday make it. You're ready now. Whatever it is you go through, you are ready now. Our future, maybe even our present, could change drastically based on what we do with second chances from the Father. Amen? Would you guys stand with me today? Lord God, we thank you for everyone here. I thank you, Lord God, that today in this room, as we, as we stand in what we declare as the house of the Lord, that there is joy available over top of our sorrows, over top of everything we feel that may be frustrating, everything we feel that may be a, a trigger for pain or a trigger for trauma. Lord God, we thank you that you are our God and in you, we live and breathe and have our being. Our joy comes from you because your joy is our strength. So Father God, today in this room, as we stand here in your house, we gather and we joyfully proclaim that we accept second chances, that we accept your grace, that we accept your salvation. We acknowledge that we put our lives, our future into the hands of the Father. Lord God, today, would you take this declaration from us? Would you take the, the, the simple fact of, of us, uh, we're about to sing, but would you take that as our response today to you? That God, you are our God, we are your people, and we respond to you based on the fact that you have already acted. You have already stretched your arms out. You have already said, come to me. So God, as we come to you in song, would you accept that? Would you accept that simple response? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.